This podcast is brought to you by Eisner Award-winning comic book store, Legend Comics and Coffee in Omaha, Nebraska. And listeners like you, head to TwoHeadedNerd.com and click donate or check us out at Patreon backslash TwoHeadedNerd. Our story this week picks up where we left off last week. Broadcasting from the Ziggurat at Omaha in caverns deep below the metro area, it is our pleasure to welcome you to episode 708 of the Two-Headed Nerd Comic Book Podcast. I'm your head number one, the Internet's Joe Patrick. I'm your head number two, my name is Matt Baum, and it's time for another Cosmic Longbox episode where the weird sentient being that inhabits our collection forces us to delve into a pile of eight back-issue comics based on a theme, and this theme could be hiding amongst us as we speak. I mean, I hope it's not hiding. We have a podcast to record. Well, yeah, no, I just mean it could be anywhere. Yeah. I just don't know. After that, we'll set you up with our must-read picks for next week's new comics. But now, the Cosmic Longbox is getting a little paranoid that Matt and I might not be who we say we are. So to prove ourselves, it's back at you review time in the cigarette. Girls are invading the Marvel TVU, and the Cosmic Longbox is terrified they may have invaded the Ziggurat, too. So today, we'll be digging into back issues starring Marvel's green, shape-changing conquerors in the hope that we can better understand our enemy. Joey, why don't you start off with the very first appearance of the Skrulls? I'll do that, Matt. My first review is of the very first appearance of the Skrulls. Thank you. <laughs> it's in Fantastic Four, Volume 1, Number 2. And again, I say this every time we do something like this, but all of these comics come from Marvel. It's not going to stop Matt from telling you that they're from Marvel every single time. It will. This came out in 1961. It's written by Stan Lee and Jack Kirby. Jack Kirby is not credited as the writer. I am giving him credit as the writer. I'm sure he wrote most of it. So let's uh, Let me tell you what. I, I've just, some things happened with, uh, about Kirby and this week, and I'm just kind of like pissed at Stan. And then we're, we're going to talk about it when we review one of your books later on. Pencils are by Kirby. Inks are by George Klein. Letters are by John Duffy with colors by Stan Goldberg, though you wouldn't know it to look at this particular version. Here's your solicit or, you know, whatever. Your setup. Here's your setup. The first appearance of the Skrulls. The Skrulls attack Earth. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you, Marvel. From deep in space comes the Skrulls, a shape-shifting alien race with one goal, to destroy the Fantastic Four and conquer Earth. Can Reed Richards come up with a plan to stop them in time? I mean, to be fair, the Skrulls' first appearance, they could have ordered a pizza, you know, but they're attacking. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, it's it's it wouldn't be as dramatic. Sure. It wouldn't be as senses shattering if, uh, you know, they just came to town for a true, chat. True. The Skrulls invade the Marvel Universe for the very first time in this issue during a time before the FF even donned their famous costumes here. They're still just a group of superpowered celebrities riding high on their defeat of the Mole Man in the previous issue, but the fame becomes short-lived when the shape-shifting fiends frame our heroes for a series of heinous crimes. Uh, and they really run the gamut, too. Like, 
massive property damage and, <laughs> yeah. and endangerment, grand theft, um, slight vandalism. Yeah, it's, it's all over it's the place. It's sort of like if high school kids were trying to frame the Fantastic Four. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> this issue is pure Stan and Jack Silver Age lunacy. It's clear that they're still working out the team's powers and personalities, though some characters are pretty much fully formed already. The thing, as you know him today, well, not so much today. He's kind of more well-adjusted, but the thing is the thing. Like, we're already. The thing is the thing. He's just a little bit more muddy than Rocky. Yeah, he's still mud man at this point. Kind of. Johnny, yeah, Johnny is still Johnny. The scrolls are perfect bug-eyed little green men straight out of a classic B movie and their defeat at the end of the issue will be revisited to brilliant effect more than 30 years later. More on that as we progress in today's episode. Kirby's art is brilliant, of course, but George Klein's inks don't do him any favors. It's still a few issues yet before Joe Sinnott joins the series, kicking off a legendary partnership with The King Unfortunately, all I could find to review is a horribly recolored reprint created for Marvel Unlimited based on the copyright date. The colors here are straight up ugly. They're flat. They're oversaturated. They make the art look like garbage. Yeah, there's almost no reason to even talk about them. Everybody knows these. I, I'm just, just pointing like- it out because like this, I, I'm not sure where you can find a faithful reproduction. I would have loved to have seen one. Fantastic Four number two introduces a classic race of cosmic villains to the Marvel universe, and they are a ton of fun right out of the gate. I'm giving this a buy it. It's it's great. Yeah, it's a buy it. I mean, like, this is legendary stuff, and it's wild because the scrolls showed up fully formed. These are the same scrolls yeah, that man. We, we're going to deal with all day. They just went, okay, cool. Got it. Love it. <laughs> you know, this is great. Yeah. So, Like, uh, they're their their cost like their uniforms change slightly you know they adopt that kind of purple and black yeah but i mean that's color really scheme, about it and they maybe they're not wearing as many crowns <laughs> as they are later on well but. i mean some of the bosses wear crowns and that's cool yeah, yeah. But, you know we'll we get, ta- we, we're gonna get some crowns later on in we'll the check other one does later yeah i will say like the main difference like these scrolls are a little shorter when they're in scroll form they seem like they're they're, they're kind of tiny yeah they're little people and then like around the 90s they get into big ripped up herky dudes so but and you know, and you know what? That's kind of I actually kind of like that the scrolls in their true form would be kind of unimposing. I suppose, I, and we'll I touch mean, on we, that. We've been we've been dealing with like with hunky scrolls for a long time now, but yeah, it it it, it is kind of magical to have these like terrible villains just be so silly looking. Well, when you could shape change, you don't have to look like that. But, yeah, you know exactly. Yeah, I mean exactly. Would you back it up, please? Now, because there may be some viewers who don't speak scroll, everything will be translated for you into English by the mighty Marvel translingual interpreter. Voting. I am a Now we learned where the scrolls have come from. Let's learn how the legendary Kree Scroll War started in the pages of Avengers number 133 is from Marvel. It was 1975. Written by Steve Englehart with art and cover by Sal Buscema, inks by Joe Staten. Colors by Phil Rachelson and letters by Tom Orzachowski. Uh, I didn't know that that dude was lettering way back in 1975. There you That's go. pretty cool. Classic Here, Uncanny X-Men letterer. Here's a setup that I wrote. You can also now read this at marvelfandom.com for this page. Me, me, me. 
After defeating Kang, Immortus grants the Avengers two synchro staves that will show Vision and Mantis their origins. Nobody else. Everybody else is like, yeah, I know where I came from. I'm good. Vision, yeah, travel- yeah. <laughs> Vision travels back to see his creation, but Mantis is taken with the rest of the team to the first recorded day of Kree history, where a young barbaric Kree race meets the Skrulls for the first time, and the origins of the Kree-Skrull conflict are revealed! Yikes. I don't know what Steve Englehart was on when he wrote this story, but I want some drugs. Dude. Yeah, but I want some. There is so much explained in this issue. The vision learns he was the original human torch Android sort of Mantis's father was revealed to be Libra of the Zodiac, not the LMD Zodiac gang from our last cosmic long box. This is the first Zodiac gang. And the Kree not only killed the Kotati they shared a planet with when visited by the Skrulls for the first time, but then turn on the Skrulls and steal their tech to become the warlike space-conquering race they are today. Bashima's art is excellent in the post-Kirby Marvel house style, and he's drawing a cast of thousands, including three different alien races and a time-spanning epic that reveals the origins of the Blue Area on the moon, along with how the Kree-Skrull conflict started. This story is massive, and it is only the setup for Mantis's wacky Celestial Madonna story. We'll save that for another Cosmic Long Box, though. No, we will not. I have got to give this a buy it. This was just wild fun <laughs> okay yeah i mean this is this is fun it's it's weird it's barely got anything to do with the scrolls like the first half of the issue is about something else and you know what that's going to happen with my next review as well the first half is about the scrolls and the second half is about something else it's weird that that's how marvel chose to approach some of these stories and yeah the 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 talking sticks they turn out to be space phantoms (laughs) well yeah of course because that's that's what happens with space phantoms are also shape changers except that when they instead of changing shape they like steal a shape and so the the person or thing that they mimic gets shunted into limbo oh so they become the thing they become the thing but they are you know they're still themselves gotcha um and then like you know, Rick Jones or whoever is trapped in limbo yeah. as the space your, phantoms running around. Your Vitamix is trapped in limbo and your blender yeah, right. can yeah, talk to yeah. you now. Uh, shout out to World of Warcraft for teaching me what a stave was. I wasn't lost at all. All right. Uh, this, this, this comic book is weird as hell. It's super <laughs> it's weird. weird. It's so weird. Seventy 70s Marvel, the writing team, uh, the writing staff for sure was so hopped up on, on weed or mushrooms or Coke or whatever. That everything is insane. The Celestial Madonna stuff is just like so mind-numbingly hippie nonsense. But we're not even there yet. We're not even. Yeah, yeah, right. And it's like, this is just like, we're on the road to the Celestial Madonna. Right. Um, But I also did not know a ton of, like the things revealed in this issue about the origin of the Kree and the Skrulls, that was news to me as well. Blew my mind. I had no clue. And so- I was uh, very surprised in a good way. I was like, oh, wow. Hey, cool. This is a buy it. I love Salbi Shema, of course. And yeah, man, it's just. How can you not like a comic book this out there? It's, it's just so trippy. It's nuts. And like you get so much. It turns out the Kree were just like a barbarian race when the scrolls show up and the scrolls already had technology, but they weren't warlike at all. 
they were just testing different like they were like agrarian they sort were like of peaceful yeah like, hey you know hey friends right let's, uh we want to we want to hang out we want to bestow our our knowledge uh well they were testing them you. they tested them to see well, if they right. were worthy they, they tested the kotati and the kree right and these barbarians just built the blue area on the moon which is pretty high tech <laughs> over the course of a year <laughs> but still it's the blue area of the moon you well, know like they, they built a now okay I don't want to split hairs. They here. built the and, city. And they built the city. They built the structure. Right. right. Like obviously all of the watchers crap is the watchers. not yeah. like that's he's a cosmic deity. But I had no idea. Like this was the origin of but the But they stuff. built the city that the that the blue area of the moon, like the the famous like oxygenated blue area of the moon inhabits. Yeah. Uh, and and that's pretty neat. But then they kicked the scrolls asses. Like yeah, and the like Kree they, they roll them, and then they're murdered like murdered all the they murdered all the Kojati. Let's figure out how that ship works, and they de-engineer it, and they get in it, and they go to the Scroll homeworld and kill them. <laughs> like, and wow. then yeah, Kree Scroll War, baby. Yeah, because the Kree nuts. are assholes. Total that's the lesson. Total assholes. Everything is the Kree's fault. So suck it. Well, I mean, I, yeah, I guess so. Because they were jerks before the Scrolls showed up. So. The Crees have always been jerks. Yeah. Even before I knew that they were historically jerks, they've been jerks. I mean, I'm not saying the the scrolls are absolved of all their bad behavior, but damn. Brand the Imperial Scroll Flag to mark the spot where I landed. And the ground is too hard. That's you know, when you choose a theme like the scrolls, you're going to end up reviewing a lot of Fantastic Four stuff. So, oh, yeah. You know, just buckle up. Next up for me is Fantastic Four, Volume 1, number 257. This came out in 1983. It's written and drawn by John Byrne, colors by Glynis Ween, letters by Jim Novak. Here's your setup. Don't miss one of the most significant stories in the history of the Fantastic Four as mighty Galactus comes to the Skrull's homeworld. Plus, secrets are revealed about Galactus's relationship with Eternity and Lady Death and his role in the universe. Plus, while examining the comatose android body of the Vision, Reed Richards suddenly goes missing and no one has a clue as to where or why. God damn it, Reed. Lots going on in this issue. One of the major events on the Skrull's path to secret invasion occurs right here in this very comic as the Devourer of Worlds falls off the wagon and consumes Tarnax for a.k.a. Throne World. And it is a hilariously quick mind change as oh, well. Oh, yeah. <laughs> He's like, I can't. My Herald, I'm dying, but I can't. I've swore never to consume life again. And Nova is like, but here are the scrolls. And he's like, mm, dinner is served. Yeah. I mean, it's like how people quit, <laughs> quit smoking almost. You yeah. Know? Yes, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> this is kind of a weird issue, almost completely split between the Galactus story and the things taking place on earth. Comic book scripting could still be pretty soul painy around this time, especially when dealing with grandiose concepts like the impending death of a fundamental force in the universe. And Byrne does not disappoint. Characters make a lot of very pained declarations like, quote, Daughter, I had hoped you were yet in bed. Better you should sleep peacefully through <laughs> the end of the world. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, yes, I agree. 
the way Byrne writes about the process by which Galactus consumes a world is incredible, describing environmental horror on a cosmic scale. I think it's the first time that I ever read anything that like actually explained what's going on when Galactus quote unquote devours a world. He's not like literally taking a bite out of it. Cause that's stupid. Right. He's turning the life force of the planet, the thing inside the planet that lets it sustain living beings, converts it into energy that he can process and then steals it from the planet, leaving a lifeless husk behind that oftentimes explodes like Tarnax 4 did. Sure. We also get some great scenes from Galactus's latest herald, Frankie Ray, a.k.a. Nova. Not that one. It's the gold lady with the fiery hair. Showing just how devastating the power cosmic can be. There's a great scene where she shows up and the Skrull Armada is like, we got her now. It's up to us. And she's like, nope. Bing, bong, bing, bong, bing, bong, bing. And the entire Skrull Armada is dead. Yeah. Just it's and awesome. Like, and it like burn is like, it's, I would barely call it a battle. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. It's awesome. Burns' art is just phenomenal. It's gorgeously detailed, creating breathtaking scenes of cosmic wonder, uh, as well as some truly puzzling 1980s fashion crimes. <laughs> the horror of modern recoloring strikes again. This is a digital recreation for Marvel Unlimited or whatever. But Burns' work in this issue fares a lot better than Kirby's did in FF number two. And I'm guessing that has something to do with the advancements in coloring techniques that had come in the 30 years between the two issues. There is a lot more to Fantastic Four 257 than just the death of the Skrull homeworld. Byrne sets the stage for several stories to come, like Sue's ill-fated second pregnancy and the trial of Reed Richards. It's a jam-packed issue that runs the gamut from high-stakes cosmic action to interpersonal family drama, all delivered with outstanding art from one of the FF's most celebrated creators. This gets a... Huge buy it. Yeah, this is a massive buy it for me, too. It's one of those comics you just can't argue with. Even though John Byrne spends the entire issue telling you how important it is, because you might not know how important it is otherwise, unless he explains exactly how important this is. (laughs) And it it would be different if it looked, if it just looked kind of run in the mill, but it's so gorgeous as he describes, like, how important it is that Galactus does not die. No, and like you can see that he does if he were just writing it and the art sucked to be one thing, but he puts it into his art too. Like, yes, it is absolutely important that I draw every single one of these busted planet pieces floating around, you know? To yeah, show right, so yes. how like destructive Galactus really is. This is amazing. I love this stuff and I used to hate it. I'll be perfectly honest. I used to hate this fantastic four type writing. It just didn't do it for me. And the older I get, the more I can appreciate what John Byrne did. This issue is just knockout. The back end of the story that's getting into the family stuff is a little, uh, you know, whatever, but we got to have that drama. I get it. The I mean, first yeah. family Johnny wants a bachelor pad, uh, sure. you know, reads help on the vision because of uh, something that happened in my, one of my very, very first Avengers comics where they, he phased through a force shield created by Annihilus and shut down. I loved it. And uh, then he gets kidnapped by 
the Shi'ar or whatever. It's yeah, it's awesome. I like the There's Scarlet a lot Witch. going on here. I like that the Scarlet Witch dresses in her uniform full time. So, <laughs> well, yeah, because she's, she's at Avengers Mansion, man. Yeah. Like she's she's on duty, yeah. and she doesn't have time for shopping. She's a Scarlet Witch. And he got what he wanted. He'll be peaceful and contented for the rest of his life. Right, Super Scrow? Hope you're not tired of Fantastic Four because we're talking about Fantastic Four number 358. But I had Fantastic Four for lunch. This is Marvel 1991. It's written by Tom DeFalco with art and cover by Paul Ryan, inks by Danny Bulanati, colors by Christy Scheel, and letters by Bill Oakley. Here is your setup. Back in Fantastic Four 300, for reasons still unknown to this day, Roger Stern decided to make Johnny Storm marry his best friend's girl, Alicia Masters, and pull the ultimate power move by making Ben his best man in the wedding. (laughs) Now, that kind of a dick move didn't sit right with Tom DeFalco, so three years later, when he took over the FF, he came up with a way not only to end that marriage, but to ensure it never happened. This Alicia was secretly a scroll named Lyja that replaced Alicia in Fantastic Four 265 just before the team returns from the first Secret Wars. So much happens in this comic that it is hard to wrap my head around it. I'm just going to go through the bullet points of my notes, okay? Keep in mind this creative team had just started one issue previous to this. So... Here we go. So Johnny's being a total dick and a racist because he discovers his wife is Skrull. And man, nobody hates Skrulls like the Marvel Universe, but Johnny is super pissed. She reveals a whole bunch of things about how she's working for a guy named General Calamari, which, yeah, come on. Look, man, Star Wars has Mon Calamari, and we don't make fun of them for that. So. We learned that we can't just make a bunch of super scrolls because it's not cheap. So they're going to sneak Alicia in. They're going to sneak Lija in as Alicia because she doesn't have superpowers and they're even going to blind her. <laughs> so when she's around, she uh, just acts blind, you know, <laughs> Spe- special contacts that went so that when she's in human form, she's blind, I guess, but she's a shapeshifter. Can't she just like change her eyes so she can't see when she shifts out of human form, she can see again. But when she's Alicia, Oh, that's interesting. So her boss, Pybok, picked her to do this job because she dumped him. They dated for a while. Didn't yeah, go well. Toxic, toxic masculinity at work. While Elijah is impersonating Alicia, she totally falls in love with Johnny. So much so that after Johnny discovers she's a scroll and is like, get away from me. I'll kill you. Where's my wife? She's like, don't do it, dude. I'm pregnant. But she's lying about it. <laughs> Bear in mind that at this point, we already know that scrolls lay eggs and yeah, um, they, this- They lay them by the clutch. Like a goldfish or a frog. (laughs) Yeah, it's gross. So Elijah and Johnny end up having some complex feelings because Johnny realizes, hey, I've been with this girl the whole time. The entire time. Yeah, and she's helping the FF go find Alicia. The mad thinker, by the way, Alicia's stepdad, I thought it was her dad, but apparently it's her stepdad. No, the puppet master is Alicia's stepdad. Oh, pardon me. The Mad Thinker is the one that's like manipulating people from inside prison. Got it. The Mad Thinker seems to not only know that Lija was a scroll, but also knew all of this was going to happen. Knew they would discover this. Knew they'd go into space. Sabotages yeah, you know, the Fantastic Four ship. It's like ship. Tony. 
it's like Tony Stark, right? He's a futurist or whatever. How can so, you like, possibly like, know this According shit. to my calculations, the Fantastic <laughs> Four should be parking right now. Right. Like he sat down with his Texas Instruments super like, yeah, calculator it out. and right. figured he out that Alicia was replaced just before the end of Secret Wars. <laughs> like, yeah. Okay. Yes. It's true. The Skrulls have a fake asteroid station called War World. Where have I heard that before? So no relation. The Skrulls in this also, when the Fantastic Four comes rescue Alicia, change into the same monsters we saw them change into in Fantastic Four 2. I a, was, I was wondering if you pointed snake out. And a spiky guy. <laughs> yeah, because this is the 30th anniversary celebration. Issue right. Of and, Fantastic Four. and they go as far as to like tell the entire origin of the FF and everything. Of course. Like they're setting yeah. it all back up. Pybok, the power scroll, has been juicing and that's how he got his powers. They put him in this machine that hurts really bad. And now yeah. he can like freeze stuff. And he's, he's like the new super scroll, but he's got of. kind of random powers. Like yeah. Ice, electricity. And like I said, the Mad Thinker knew all this shit was going to go down, and he is the reason that the team is stranded in space in the end. All of it is really well drawn, I should say, by Ryan, who is solid. He's not like standout or amazing, but he does a really good job here with, again, a massive cast. I can't find any good sources to prove it, but I think Elijah is one of the first non-evil scrolls, right? Like before this, scrolls have only been bad. I mean, it's kind of a hard thing to Google, right? Yeah. So I, 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 I don't know how to fact check how that, about this? but it's certainly the first time I ever read a story where if, a scroll turned out to be good. If anyone has an example of a previous, of an earlier issue with a scroll being a good guy, lay it on us. Discord. That's where you uh, Yeah. You know, paging Jason Sachs. If yeah. you're hearing this episode. Making Elijah take Elijah's place to explain Johnny's complete shithead move is a brave and pretty smart idea for a retcon, and it does pay off when we see Alicia and Ben back together. And I would add that a blind woman falling in love with a monstrous man with a heart of gold is very sweet and much more satisfying than her dumping that monster for a better-looking rich guy. <laughs> you know? This book is a mess, and at times it barely makes sense, but it was a Damn good time from an FF run that gets real bad real quick after this. I'm going to give this one a buy it because they fixed some really good stuff and they got a wacky scroll story to do it. You know, it was, it was almost too yeah, easy. I mean, so I have a soft spot in my heart for the Tom DeFalco, Paul Ryan FF. Yes, it gets kind of lousy, but. I mean, it's fun in the way that Tom DeFalco and Ron Frenz's Thor is fun. It's like full of huge, big, dumb ideas. Yeah, there's good stuff in there. Like I'm in the middle of rereading uh, Amazing Spider-Man from the 80s right now. I've just kind of like had a wild hair. And and so I started reading with um, Symbiote Saga with the alien costume. And I've been reading it ever since. So I'm up into the 270s. Oh, nice. And leave your notes yeah. in the back. It's your section of our discord so we can follow. Oh, I, should. On I, your I journey. should do that. Yeah. Yeah. I should definitely do that. But, uh, but right. So now I'm to the point where Roger Stern has left the book. Tom DeFalco has taken over. It's DeFalco and friends again. Uh, and it's just like super stupid, goofy stuff. Yeah. Like Fire Lord coming to town for pizza. It's right. Like, and okay. Spider-Man beats but, him up. Right. It's also so much fun because it's so sincere. Yeah. Like there's nothing cynical about it. It's just like, yeah, we love the Fantastic Four. What if Johnny had a scroll girlfriend? Yeah, it is kind of a dick move for a dude to start dating his bro's ex, but it's not like it happened right away. Some time had passed. 
Uh, Secret War came out in 1984. I Fantastic know. Four 300 came out in 1987. And the thing was like, I'm staying on Battle World. Tell my girlfriend I'm not coming home. Sure. Which So what was move, he expecting? Dick moving in and of itself. Sure. So, yeah. like, And they explain it in this issue. It's just like, you know, slowly over time, she actually fell for Johnny and whatever. Uh, I love Paul Ryan. I love Paul Ryan. I think he is a criminally underrated uh, you know, kind of bronze age superhero artist. Mm-hmm. I, I, his stuff is just so good. Every time he's on a book, this is fun. I think this is great fun. This is a buy it for me. And yeah, Elijah, you know, dies quote unquote, but she comes back later, later as Elijah laser fist. She was just back like a, not less than a year ago. Oh, you know, yeah. yeah. I, I mean, but she comes back still during the DeFalco and, and Ryan run. Right. And like Pybok has turned her also into a power scroll and kind of brainwashed her, Elijah laser fist. And she's mad at Johnny for (laughs) leaving her for dead and blah, blah, blah. And then, you know, she gets over it and she hangs out with the Yeva for a while. Is that where she lays the egg and tells him that she has a real egg baby. (laughs) And she tells him that's his due, even though they haven't been together for years at that point. Yeah. I mean, (laughs) it's complicated. I don't know how, yeah. How scroll gestation works. I don't, and I don't remember how that all shakes out, but yeah, she does have an, she does lay another egg. I do. Spoiler alert. There is no baby in that. Pybox surgically implanted it in her and told uh, her grody, she was pregnant grody, grody. with Johnny's baby. That's why that she is, thought that was going on. Boy, oh boy. That Pybox. You got to watch that guy. He is a real piece of okay. shit. That is not okay. Real piece of shit, that Pybox. That is not okay on many <laughs> levels. Uh, but yeah, inside that egg is like a tentacle monster. It's, yeah. <laughs> so it's, it's dumb. This is a buy it. I love it. When the Earthlings see a film of their greatest superheroes defeated by the Skrulls, they will surrender to us. Capture them. Elijah may have been the first Skrull to do a face turn, but she wouldn't be the last. Next up for me, Annihilation, colon, Super Skrull, number one, from Marvel. It's 2006. It's written by, and I apologize, Javier, if you're out there, Javier Griot Marchot. That's how I've always said it. That's probably wrong. Art is by Greg Titus. Colors by Chris Sotomayor. Letters by Joe Caramagna. This is before Victorious Cockblock came around. This is just Joe Caramagna out there doing his thing. Covered by Gabrielle Delato. Here is your... Uh, this is, I believe, an actual solicit because this is, you know, relatively modern. Super Scroll bursts into the front line of the war against the Annihilation Wave, taking the fight to the enemy in his own ruthless way. And for once... Evil may just be the only way to defeat evil. Annihilation is a modern classic. It's the event that reignited the Marvel Cosmic Universe and redefined multiple characters for a new generation. The event kicked off in a one-shot prelude, followed by four miniseries that ran concurrently featuring different solo characters before the main event series kicked in with Annihilation number one. One of those minis featured Clert, a.k.a. the Super Scroll, one of the Fantastic Four's most enduring foes. Javier Grillo Marchot, one of the writers of ABC's Lost, which was a cultural phenomenon at the time. Hopefully not one and, of the dick writers. <laughs> no. Uh, in fact, that book came out and he was like, and now I don't have to lie about it anymore. Yeah, yeah. It was, yeah, pretty damning stuff. He's also the creator of the excellent comic book series, The Middleman, which was turned into an equally excellent and unjustly canceled TV series, 
of the same name. It recasts Clurt as a grizzled warhorse seen as a relic by the rest of the Skrull military due to multiple defeats at the hands of the FF. When a Skrull officer more concerned with her career than with stopping the Annihilation Wave refuses to act, Clurt has to take matters into his own hands, becoming an enemy of the Empire he's sworn to protect in the process. Yikes. Griot Marchot may have come from the world of screenwriting, but he clearly has an affinity for comics. He gives the Super Scroll a more complex personality than he had in the four decades since his introduction in Fantastic Four number 18. He also shows just how deadly the Fantastic Four could be if they used their abilities without mercy. He's like stretching like wire thin and decapitating aliens. It's gross. Greg Titus isn't an artist that many would be too familiar with. He's primarily known as a concept artist and an illustrator, and his comics resume is really slight. His art here is very well done, but it's also very bizarre. I can see how it might not be some reader's cup of tea, but I think it works well for the story's weird alien-on-alien action. While his panels can be a little overcrowded in some scenes, I did really like how much personality... He brings to Clerk's expressions. Annihilation Super Scroll number one is a great spotlight on a classic FF villain that brings depth to his character that's still recognized today. You look at a Clerk appearance today, the dude's still on the side of angels, more or less. Giving this a buy it. It's great. I love any time you can take. I mean, I'll call him a C level villain. He wasn't like a D or F level, you know, but anytime you can take like a C level villain and give him some personality and give him something to do. And you've got a writer smart enough to realize, well, yeah, if you had this power set, you should be able to whip the fantastic fours ass. And it shows how powerful the fantastic four is when you come because, in and, yeah. and destroy all this other stuff. Using because those you're powers. willing to do what they're not. Right. And it really did give him some personality. And that's one thing that annihilation did that I think some of the other comics we touched, like maybe characters like Lija touch on that for the scrolls, but I think Annihilation did a really nice job of showing like there are two definitely different groups of scrolls that want two different things. And Clert is realizing I was just on the side of, you know, the army because that's what I thought I was supposed to do. And now I've kind of been cast out and he's seeing the other side and, and you get a lot of personality from this character that really did carried through into like empire later on and things like that. And now I love he showed up in, uh, I think, um, X-Men red. Maybe yeah, I love he's, this. He's character. popped up whenever there's like a cosmic delegation clerks there. Yeah. I love this character now. And this, yeah, this, this one shot's a huge buy it. I don't love the art as much as you did. I think some of it. Just, I mean, it's weird. It's goofy. Some of it doesn't work. Some of it just flat out doesn't work. There's other panels that are really good, but I think, like you said, that's an artifact of someone who just hasn't done a lot of comics work, and they were figuring this out. Maybe you know, it's not terrible and, by any means. And really, but, he hadn't done a lot of comics work, and he also never did again. Like yeah, he did. He's done like four things. Yeah, so maybe he was like, not for me. Whatever. Regardless, I mean, he's a successful concept artist. I'm giving it a buy it. Uh, you know, I would say in defense of Clerk's status as a Fantastic Four villain, I think that if you were to name 10 FF villains, he'd definitely be on the list. So I think he's at least B-level. All right. That's, well, okay. A B-level. Sure. Super Scroll. Sure. At dinner's note, 
Answer the Super Scroll poll in the episode 708 discussion thread on the THN Discord. Next up, Grant Morrison makes a rare Marvel appearance for Scroll Kill Crew number one from Marvel. It was 1995, written by Grant Morrison, art by Steve Yell, inks by Chris Ivey, colors by Chi Wang and Digital Chameleon, lettered by Richard Starkings Comic Craft. I like to think that, uh, the VC guys came in and just like shot Richard in the head and went, we're taking over here. All right. No, he, um, no, Richard Starkings is probably the most successful comic book. I know it's a joke. Time. I'm kidding. Now he makes a ton of money selling fonts. Well, good for him. Like you can buy fonts from. from yeah. He's dude. probably the most famous letterer of all time. So. I mean, most monetarily successful yeah. at the very least. Here's your setup. Meet Ryder and Moonstomp, two members of the Scroll Kill Crew. The pair developed a disease known as Scrollovoria-induced scrollophobia after eating hamburgers <laughs> produced from cows that were actually scrolls in disguise. Though rare, Scrollovoria-induced scrollophobia manifests in some humans as the ability to change shape or morph, as they call it here, like a scroll, but also slowly destroys brain tissue, resulting in death. Like now, mad cow disease with shape-changing powers. Yeah, more or less. It also makes you hate the hell out of scrolls. So, now the pair are recruiting more likewise affected humans to aid them in their quest to find every scroll hiding on Earth before their own deaths. I'm hoping Graham Morrison wrote this out of pure protest for how extreme, violent, and just plain stupid a lot of superhero comics were being written at the time. Grant's main characters are violent morons on the level of the insane clown posse without the makeup. One is a Nazi skinhead and the other a British Rastafarian, both of which have shape-shifting powers, but they choose to kill scrolls with guns and claw hammers. By the end, I kind of felt bad for the scrolls. The story begins with the pair carrying out a school shooting. Now I will give Grant. This was four years before Columbine, so that really wasn't a thing yet as they kill a teacher and classmate that were scrolls in front of the other students. Mind you, there was no scroll event going on at this time. This was just mindless scroll murder for the hell of it. Yell, who worked with Morrison on The Invisibles at DC, doesn't really lean into the Marvel hero style here, but draws the comic exactly like he would have had it been a Vertigo title, and it looks pretty good. It's the nonsensical violence of the story and the ridiculous plot that never quite becomes self-aware enough to be funny that ruined it for me. I'm just not in on the joke, I think. I'm giving this a leave it. It just didn't do anything for me. Uh, okay, see, I, I think it is self-aware enough. And that's why I'm giving this a skim it because I thought it was totally fun. It is very ridiculous. Uh, I love Steve Yowell. Yowell, Yowell. I think uh, he's a, a great artist. I enjoy his work at Vertigo. I thought this looked great. Um, it's a little weird to see it applied to kind of a more superhero type thing, but, you know, whatever. This is 1995 Grant Morrison. Grant knows he's fully formed. The Invisibles is... It's either already coming or it's about to. Oh, yeah. I mean, I don't disagree. Uh, I just didn't get the joke. Like, I don't I, think it landed. It, it landed for me. I'm giving this a skim in. I, I thought it was fun. It is certainly not going to be for everybody. Commander, we're falling to us. Save us, earthlings, or you perish with us. I can repair your ship in time if you swear to leave the Earth and never return. My final review for this week revisits a topic that we addressed in last week's Patreon Extra about Secret Invasion. 
It's New Avengers, the Illuminati, volume two, number one. That's key here. It's from 2007. It's written by Brian Michael Bendis and Brian Reed. Pencils by Jim Chung. Inks by Mark Morales. Colors by Justin Ponzor. Letters by Corey Pettit, who I believe might also be a VC guy. Later on became VC's Corey Pettit. Yeah. Yeah. Here's your solicit. The Illuminati is a secret organization comprised of several of the world's most powerful heroes. Sorcerer Supreme, Doctor Strange, Black Bolt, King of the Inhumans, Charles Xavier, founder of the X-Men and mutant rights activist, Reed Richards, founding member of the Fantastic Four, Namor the Submariner, King of Atlantis, and Iron Man, parentheses, Anthony Stark, and parentheses, in case you forgot, founding member of the Avengers. These six men have worked together to mold and shape the status of the superhuman world and the world around it. But how and what they have done together has remained a mystery until now. Following an introductory one-shot that came out prior to Marvel's Civil War event, hence the volume two, this Illuminati miniseries focuses on a different moment in history in each issue, where the power players of the Marvel Universe decided that they knew best. This time, our misguided heroes have traveled to the Skrull homeworld in the aftermath of the Kree-Skrull War to warn Earth's shape-changing enemies that further attacks would not be tolerated. Well, guess what? It blows up in their stupid faces almost (laughs) immediately. Bendis and co-writer Brian Reed, whatever happened to that guy? I don't know. Paint a cruel and brutal picture of the Skrulls as they torture and experiment on the Illuminati members never realizing that the one they consider to be powerless would be the one to lead the heroes to escape. I'm giving Reed credit for reining in Bendis's tendency for decompressed storytelling at the time. This issue is action-packed, and Bendis's trademark panels of monosyllabic shouts and grunts is kept to a minimum. Seriously, look at any 10 uh, Bendis comics from it's the true. early 2000s, it's and it's going to be like... Panels and panels of people just going, Ag, what? Ah! Chung and Morales' art is glorious, of course. I honestly don't know that I've seen a comic drawn by Chung in the past, I don't know, 20 years or so that wasn't this good. And Justin Ponzer's colors add an appropriate level of flash to the cosmic spectacle. There are a couple of really jaw-dropping moments. One where Black Bolt's power is put on display, And again, when the Illuminati make their big escape, New Avengers, the Illuminati number one, reveals a key moment in the Skrulls history and helps make the case that overall, the Illuminati have done more harm than good. I'm giving this a buy it. The Illuminati was a mistake, though. I think that's the lesson we should learn looking back after all these years. That's the ultimate lesson that they learned, too. Like, we tried to control too much. You know, we, we flew too close to the sun. That was a bad idea. The man, this comic looks so goddamn good. Jimmy Chung is one of my favorite artists and he Mm -hmm. is just showing off in this comic book. The Galactus appearance, which is actually like Charles Xavier messing with all the scrolls, making them. Yeah, that's that's what I was kind of um, hinting at. God, it's just an incredible picture. It's such a great spread. This is set. This is set before Galactus actually does show up and eat the scroll homeworld. Right. It just goes to show you why it's such an oh shit moment when you come that close to Galactus. Oh, it's like, definitely. oh no. It's like wet your pants, run away, you know, pack your stuff, leave town. But also this is just these two, Reed and uh, Bendis, 
having fun with Marvel continuity, going back and adding some little stuff that would later on change other things that's affecting what's going on in the, in the books that Bendis is writing right now. And it's brilliant. It's really, really well executed. This is an absolute buy it. And it, we just talked about Secret Invasion, but this is some of that reading that you should have done before you yeah. get into Secret Invasion to see how this all started. Man, yes. they had a fantastic plan it, and they and executed it so well. Now, this came out a year before that. Right. This but, is all part of the so like So Civil War still kind of fresh. It might even still be happening. I think it is. Uh, at this time. But the way this comic ends and knowing what we know now, you can see the end of this issue and go, oh, this is direct. This is a direct prelude. Oh, yeah. Like they're. Oh, yeah. They already know the event for. They already know what events coming in the following year. They are seeding it already. And it. It was genius. So well, so well done the way that they planned Secret Invasion. It'll make them like they used to. I'll tell you what. Earthers are a stubborn breed, but honorable. The Creed do not object to this duel. Nor do I, Empress of the Scrolls, provided the X-Men are not permitted to win. For our final scroll book, we're going to take a break from the Fantastic Four and talk about what happens when scrolls become X-Men. This is Maximum Security, Dangerous Planet, number one, from Marvel. It was 2000. It's written by Kurt Busiek with art by Jerry Ordway, inkers Will Blyberg and Paul Ryan, colors by Jason Wright, with letters by Richard Starkings of Comic Craft. Here is your setup. First, a Maximum Security solicit. Next month, Maximum Security will explode across the entire Marvel line, and this one shot lights the fuse. The great galactic powers of the universe have gathered to deal with a globe they perceive as a threat. But is that world the rampaging ego, the living planet, or Earth itself? Featuring appearances by Professor X and his cadre of mutant scrolls, the Silver Surfer, the Inhumans, the Star Jammers, and the Avengers Infinity Team. Barf, forgot about those. Oh, God, that book sucks. <laughs> the action storms across the Marvel Universe in October. And here's my setup, just so you can know what's going on here. Meet Cadre K, a group of K-class mutant scrolls produced by scroll geneticists looking to increase their empire's population with fertility drugs. Whoops. Influenced, <laughs> influenced by the legendary X-Men and also led by none other than Professor X, who, you know, he was in space at the time. This brave team of mutant scrolls rescues other scrolls labeled as genetic mutants before the Empire disposes of them in their quest for purity. Now, a scroll emissary appears before the Intergalactic Council, led by Lalandra of the Shire, to use Cadre K as an example of why humanity is so dangerous, and Earth should be locked down and treated as a prison planet. But when Ego, the living planet, starts destroying other planets, Charles and his Cadre K may be the universe's only hope. So I actually think that this was the comic from this week where I heard, uh, read the word clutch in terms of scroll egg reproduction, which yeah. makes me very They're talking about how like not enough of the eggs in the clutch are fertile. Yeah, gross. So they're Ugh. trying to make them more fertile. Ugh. Joe, let me ask you a question. Are you tired of all the X-Men in your X-Men comics? Boy, howdy. Are you yearning for a completely different species of mutants to fight for a world that hates and fears them? 
Am I ever? Well, back in 2000, Kurt Busiek heard young Joe Patrick's demands, so he gave the fans Cadre K, a Skrull team with the same exact motives of the X-Men and the same leader who would be so reviled that searching the internet to find out what issues you can read about their adventures would be nearly <laughs> impossible 23 years what? later. I feel like we should like post our text chain from last night or the other night. Because it's so hilarious how hard we had to work. Oh my God. I feel like we should just get on the Cadre K fandom page and be like, here's how difficult it is to find their shit. Yeah, it's impossible. Busiek and company actually set up a pretty good premise for the event with malevolent alien races looking to use Earth as a scapegoat for their revenge on its heroes. But even when Professor X and his scroll X replacements stop Ego, they show up and literally stop Ego with a little help from the Silver Surfer in front of the entire Galactic Council. The Council's still like, nah, screw that place. (laughs) They just saved you, you complete moron. I mean, but it's not the humans that save them, it's the scrolls. Yeah, but, but they do it scroll because of Professor X. He's the one, one that dude. gave me the idea to do this. Ordway draws the hell out of this issue though, and I hope he was paid well because every alien in the Marvel U and yeah. a good chunk of all the cosmic players are here. His ego is amazing, and I love the way that Starking's letters, ego's dialogue, it's these like giant, bold, screaming letters every time ego shows up. <laughs> yeah. Although ego's mission to yell at planets until they wake up and grow a face like his, <laughs> so he has a playmate, is pretty damn stupid. <laughs> I mean, I kind of love it though, right? Like he's, he's just like, convinced that there's somewhere, ego somewhere shows out there is up another and he's planet just like, like him. Wake up! Join me! Wake up! And then if it doesn't, he's like, all right, fine, go away, you're dead. <laughs> yeah, it's it's hilarious. I think it's awesome. I never read Maximum Security, and I certainly don't plan to, nor do I ever need to learn more about Cadre K, but I cannot say that this was not a fun addition to Scroll continuity. Another little bit of evidence that Scrolls can sometimes be good guys, giving it a skim it. Yes, I agree. I remember reading Maximum Security when it came out and it was not well received. It was terrible. Um, <laughs> in, in 2000, Busiek was still riding the Avengers. And so it was, you know, it was the hottest shit on the stands. And he was given this event. And it's a short event. It's only, it's this prelude and then three issues. And then there's, you know, tie ins in the monthly books. But it's short. It's yeah. in and out. After the Galactic Council votes screw Earth, they decide that they're going to turn Earth into the galactic version. They're, it's going to be a penal colony. They're just going to send all their garbage aliens to Earth. And so they send, you know, what's left of Ego to Earth, and he starts messing up the joint. Ronan the Accuser shows up. It's wild. It's not very good. This issue, though, is kind of fun. And it is kind of an interesting footnote with Cadre K, which, it, like, don't read those X-Men issues because <laughs> there's a reason why we couldn't find them. There's a reason why it was well, so difficult. And Cadre K is in, like, four panels of that. So it's like they were planning yeah. on doing something with it, and I think it just kind of fizzled out. It's it's a whole thing. It It's an interesting footnote. This issue is drawn beautifully and Busiek loves that shit man when he's doing kind of a a big 
storyline, he loves to name drop all the alien races he can think of. Oh, every single and one. As many cosmic beings as will fit in this hall, in this uh, ballroom or whatever. And it's 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 fun, and Ordway draws the hell out of it. It's a skimmit from me. Maximum security, not great, but this issue's kind of fun. Yeah. With a legendary Skrull-centric comics reviewed and discussed, it's time to pick the one issue that stood above the rest to enter the THN Permanent Collection and discuss what we learned about Skrulls today. Matt, what's your pick for the THN Permanent Collection? I'm going to go with the New Avengers Illuminati, number one. It was such a kick-ass, just like, launch to this series, and I love that they just sort of flipped it on its head. We were supposed to get like, oh, this is Marvel's ultimate super team of brainy badasses. The, no one can mess with them in the first issue. They get their asses kicked. Oh, they also kick off this horrifying event that's going to happen in the Marvel Universe. Yeah, it, yeah it's it was bad. too good and one of my favorite artists. It was an easy choice for me. You know, I'm going to take a page out of the Matt Bomb playbook. And I'm going to avoid the easy choice because it's very, it's, you know, obviously it's the most recent issue we reviewed and it's hard not to feel the most affection for the Illuminati issue. This might be controversial. It might be out there, but I'm giving it to Avengers 133 because I really liked it. (laughs) It actually, like, it was the one comic that I read this week, though I had never read the first appearance of the scrolls. I knew about the cow thing and blah, blah, blah. It it was the only comic I read this week where I actually learned something about the history of the Kree and the scrolls. Yeah. And, And so I know more about these two races and why they hate each other from reading that comic than I did before we reviewed it so i'm giving it to avengers 133 segments really well into stuff we learned how the kree scroll war started neither of us had any idea that blew my mind uh also in reading all of these i got to a point where i was like you know what earth is super racist towards these guys like so much so that they're like murder on sight racist you know (laughs) that's a special kind of racism it's one thing to be like I don't prefer their company thank you and it's another thing to be like if they show up shoot them in the face (laughs) yeah you know and I will say that this uh, the Illuminati issue in particular kind of starts a trend a modern trend for Marvel heroes that I don't really care for it used to be and I don't mean this to be like an old you know, fuddy-duddy or whatever. I'm not, I'm certainly not stuck in my ways, but there used to be a time where heroes in good standing did not kill. Sure. Life was sacrosanct. The Avengers had it in their charter. Like it was a rule. You do not kill. If you kill somebody, you can't be an Avenger. But here we are with this Illuminati issue and they're not happy about it per se, but they kill a lot of scrolls. Yeah, well, but I mean, like a lot of them. That had been going on before this. I mean, I'm not just heroes. A lot of people are killing a lot of scrolls. I mean, the, well, the scrolls have gone through some shit. Like, but I'm definitely. talking about like specifically like Marvel superheroes. Like sure. these are people that represent the best of the best, and 
they're like blowing up entire city-sized yeah. spaceships full of living beings. Let's you know? let's stick to the fun stuff we learned. <laughs> I'm just saying, <laughs> like female uh, scrolls lay eggs. I did not know that. That's disgusting. Uh, I, I did know that because I had read that Fantastic Four issue later on where Elijah lays the egg. Fair enough. So I did I did know that scroll women uh, laid eggs, uh, but. This uh, the maximum security issue goes into it really does. distressing distressing scientific detail. I did not know that all you need to make a super scroll is a boatload of cash. That's a, they're just really expensive to make. I didn't know, but that's well, the reason I mean, why it's kind know. of like it's kind of like sending a rocket into space, right? I guess. So, yeah. yeah, you throw enough you throw enough money at it, and then yeah, you, you can make an atom. Yeah, the scr- like we learned that the scrolls accidentally created the Kree Empire. That is yeah, that blew my mind. But I think the Boys biggest by their own petard. The biggest takeaway that I have from all of this is Pybok is a total piece of shit. Like I mean, and a, an abuser, uh, like no redeeming assault. qualities. No redeeming I mean, qualities. I think implanting a baby inside your ex is it, it, Man. it, it kind of. It, there's not an earth, you know. There's not a, a real life equivalent, but that's gotta count as sexual assault. Yeah, it's not good. Box sucks. He's not a good dude. No. Now that we've proven our identities to the Cosmic Long Box, it's time to head up to the Teach and Sanctum Sanctorum, where we're celebrating the summer solstice with some light reading from the Darkhold and drinks with our homegirl, Agatha Harkness, the super old one, not the hot TV version, okay? Yeah, Joe. You know they made her hot in the comics now, which is the dragon. Yeah, kind of, right? But I mean, then she's magic. She can do whatever she wants. Whatever, I don't care. Joel, while I practice animating some furniture, why don't you tell the nerds about your must-read pick for next new comic book Wednesday, June 28th? My pick for next week is The Oddly Pedestrian Life of Christopher Chaos, number one. It's a great title. Very long, though. It's from Dark Horse Comics. It's written by Tate Bromball and James Tinian IV. Art by Isaac Goodhart, also a great name. Here's your solicit. From the New York Times best-selling and multi-Eisner award-winning writers of Something is Killing the Children, the Department of Truth, and House of Slaughter, and the artist on Victor and Nora, colon, a Gotham love story. That's got to be a Mr. Freeze-centric, all-ages DC romance book. That's my I guess, guarantee it. right? Comes this LGBTQ plus horror hero coming-of-age series that's Invincible meets Doom Patrol. Sold. Meet teenage mad scientist Christopher Chaos. For all his life, he knew he was different. His brilliant mind works in ways that defy logic and enable him to do things that push him beyond his peers. Unfortunately, these abilities have also caused great pain in his personal life, leading others to fear him and leaving Christopher with profound loneliness and guilt. Then one day, something cracked. When the cute boy at high school turns out to be a deadly creature, Christopher finds himself pitted in a world of monsters, heroes, and a cult of hunters out to kill them all. So, I picked this because I just recently shotgunned every single issue to date of both Something is Killing the Children and House of Slaughter, both of which I should have been posting on in the Discord. Yes! I apologize. I'm so bad at this. Follow your adventures. Come on. I'm bad at this. But the point is, I'm 
I am on a James Tinian the four high right now because something is killing the children is probably the best thing he's ever done. It's amazing. It's 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 so good. And this sounds really fun. I love the kind of comparison to Invincible. Invincible meets Doom Patrol is a great kind of hook. Christopher Chaos, great name. Yeah. I'm all for it. My pick for next week is Bryn Moore, number one from IDW. It's written by Steve Niles with art by Damian Worm. And if you don't buy it, IDW is going to shutter their doors and go away. Here's your solicit. Um, that's probably true. From the creators of the October faction, Steve Niles and Damian Worm comes a new horror tale. Bryn Moore, recently divorced and sober, Mark Turner has returned to his hometown looking for a second chance. He'll, re- he'll rebuild the old church into a new home if the locals let him. But Turner Island has a secret one tracing back to when it was named after Mark's ancestors. Who or what is Bryn Moore? I picked this because I really like the October faction. And when Steve Niles is good, he's really good. And he's really good at horror. And I love Damien Worm. And Damien Worm, if you've never seen him, you can picture him in your head right now. I swear to God. Oh, he's yeah. Super sure. goth, I, creepy I, dude. Absolutely. 100%. <laughs> he looks like he's wearing corpse paint in a black metal band, but he's just really pale. Yeah, I agree with you. When Steve Niles is on, he's on. And I have not read the October Faction, but it's got a following. And so there's got to be something to it. I like Damien Worm a lot, for though. Sure. He's, a, he's a very talented artist. I don't think that's his given name. That's just a guess. Might be. Who knows? I mean, my given name is Bomb. B-A-U-M. Yeah, but regardless. <laughs> uh-huh. The THN must-read trade for next week is Giga, the complete series trade paperback from Vault Comics. It's written by Alex Packnadel with art by John Lee. It's 144 pages for $19.99, and here is your solicit. Nobody knows why the skyscraper-sized mechs known as Giga fought their bitter centuries-long war All they know is that when the fighting finally stopped, the dormant Giga became humanity's new habitat and new gods in one. When disgraced engineer Evan Calhoun finds an apparently murdered Giga, his society and the fascistic, tech-centered religious order that controls it are rapidly thrown into chaos. From writer Alex Packnadel, you know him from Immortal Hulk, Time of Monsters, Frendo, and Red Fork. He's also done some stuff recently that we've really enjoyed. And rising star, John Lee. Sorry, John, if it's not pronounced Lee, but what else? I mean, what else am I supposed to expect? Comes a story about what happens after the mechs stop fighting. Now, we re- uh, re-reviewed Giga number one on the show. I think we enjoyed it, right? We I remember loved enjoying it. it. Yes, we absolutely loved it. I gave it a massive buy it. And so, yeah, complete series coming out in trade, $19.99, uh, super cheap, bookshelf edition, Absolutely worth checking out. I love the idea. It's like, what happens if Pacific Rim is over and then the giant size kaiju mechs just stop dead in their tracks and then humanity ends up building cities out of them? Yeah. I think that's a great, great hook. Absolutely. Check out Giga next week. If you don't want to get called out as a scroll at your local comic shop, or as Matt wrote, your local LCS. <laughs> Be sure to pre-order these comics so you can read along with us and tune in next week to hear our reviews of these picks. Excelsior! Oh. <laughs> that is it for THN 708. Next time, we are back reviewing new comics and we're going to give you a sneak 
peek of our Patreon Extra, where we are playing Slack Issues, and I am making Joe read his first Indiana Jones miniseries, Indiana Jones and the Fate of Atlantis. In the meantime, check out our Nerd News Update show, hitting your feed every other Monday, and join us for the THN cover-to-cover gang hang Saturdays at 11 o'clock Central. Check out our Discord for details on that. Joe, tell these nerds what else they can do while they're at our Discord. Hey, maybe you're wondering about the Mad Max timeline and if it's the same Max in Fury Road. Seems like it's (laughs) Probably not. (laughs) Maybe you're celebrating Bad Bunny's Sony Spidey spinoff El Muerto getting scrapped. It did not get a release date. Oh, I thought it got a release date, did it? No, scrapped. (laughs) Bad Bunny. Uh, And that is a very difficult story uh, sentence to read. Bad Bunny. Celebrating Bad Bunny's Sony Spidey spinoff El Muerto. Or maybe you just want to discuss our question of the week. Now, this question of the week, we did talk about this a little bit on our shows last week, but we didn't really have a chance to discuss it with you guys. Now that G.I. Joe and the Transformers have a new home at Skybound, are you excited? Were you a fan of the IDW stuff and you're excited for more? Are you a lapsed fan that is excited to come back and check out the new stuff? Or do you not even care at all? Please go to our Discord and discuss it. And if you haven't yet, you can sign up for our Discord with the link at twoheadednerd.com slash Discord. We make it so painfully easy for you. If you're new to this show and you can't believe our stance on egg laying, I assure you it's only because you haven't heard enough. The good news is you can hear the entire MTHN in our digital longbox archive at twoheadednerd.com. THN is a listener-supported podcast. It would not be possible without the generosity of donors like our man on the streets, Mr. Damon Chan. If you like what you hear every week, it's easy to support the show just like Damon does. You can sign up to be a patron at patreon.com backslash two-headed nerd. Cost you a dollar. A dollar, people. Come on. I I mean, if you want to give more, that's great. Before we go, our weekly shout-out goes to John Ramita Sr., who passed away on June 12th at his home in New York at the age of 93. Ramita was a pillar of the Marvel Universe and as an artist and the publisher's art director for many, many years, he helped to define decades of Marvel's storytelling, spanning hundreds of comics that brought characters like Spider-Man, Mary Jane, Wolverine, Black Widow, The Punisher, Luke Cage, and The Kingpin to life. Ramita's artistic legacy lives on in the thousands of pages he had a hand in creating and in his son, John Jr., a legend in his own right. And the one-time Marvel hunk of the month. Look it up. It's true. Word to you, Jazzy John. The bullpen won't be the same without you. Yeah, man. One of the most important comic creators of all time. An amazing artist. Until next time, true believers, remember to pre-order your comics or your retailer might just swap out the person you married for a green wrinkled chin reptile. This is the Two-Headed Nerd signing off. Next thing you know, you're going to go look to your closet to file your comics and you're going to find a clutch of eggs in there. Oh, God. (laughs) 